A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, and in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. This is the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word. Thank you, Esther. Excuse me. Well, a few weeks ago, uh, I was uh, feeling particularly ambitious. And so I got out a puzzle to put together with some of uh, our children. And it was a 300-piece puzzle, and, uh, and it went fairly well. There wasn't a lot of arguing or bickering for the most part, and the puzzle was left out on the table, and, it, and it, it got assembled, it got completed, and everyone who participated in it felt good about that, and I'm like, hey, th this, could be, this could be a thing. So I got on Amazon, and James and I were looking at different puzzles on Amazon and, and looking at the reviews, and, and so we found one. It was, it was not just a 300-piece, this one was a 1,000-piece puzzle. And we found a thousand piece puzzle that had good reviews and we, we picked it, we ordered it. It was cats on a raft in a swimming pool and we thought, perfect. And so we ordered this puzzle and, and we, we opened it up and spread it out all over the, the table. And, and one approach that you can take when putting together a puzzle is you can look for pieces that have similarities. Just you're looking through the mass and, oh, this is kind of similar to that one. And you, you, try, to, you try to put them together. But, but there's another perspective or there's another approach that I find more helpful. And that is you prop up the box with the picture on the front. And you look at the picture and then you look at pieces and try to figure out, oh, okay, these make that. And that helps you put them together. A little bit of perspective goes a long way in making sense of all the various pieces on the table. In some ways, life is like a puzzle. 
and it can be difficult to make sense of the different seasons and events and aspects of it and how they all fit together. And so we need some perspective. We need wise perspective, wise ways of seeing life, the ability to see things clearly by seeing the big picture. And that's what our text is primarily about today, getting a wise perspective on the affairs of our lives and everything under the sun. So if you're following along in your Bibles, and I hope you are, the first truth that I want to draw your attention to from our text today is found in verses 11 and 12. And that is, we need wise perspective to live well. We need wise perspective to live well. Have you ever heard the saying, a trust fund baby? Uh, that's a person whose way is paid for. They have no worries. Their needs are basically met. And at first hearing, we may think to ourselves, well, that, that sounds kind of nice. I, I'd go for that. Um, yet it's almost always used negatively. Whenever someone is referred to as a trust fund baby, it is almost always a negative thing. And, and the writer of Ecclesiastes here says that wisdom is good with an inheritance. Wisdom is good with an inheritance. An inheritance alone is not good. And, and that's the critique with trust on babies, right? Is that they often, they, they don't have wisdom. They didn't work for it. They didn't earn it. So they don't really appreciate it. So they don't really know how to manage it. They just spend it. They have an inheritance, but they don't have wisdom. And what our text is telling us here is that more than an inheritance, what we need is wisdom. Wisdom is the key. Knowing how things in life typically work, knowing what's typically the best approach to take, that's wisdom. Because without wisdom, money can often just be a curse. For all that money can do, and it, and it talks about in our text, there's a certain sense of protection that money gives. When things go wrong and you have uh, savings, you, you have a little bit of protection. You, you don't have to worry as much because you've got, you've got a safety net. You've got some covering, and, and money can't offer some protection. But our text says as money provides protection, wisdom provides it more. It preserves the life of him who has it. So we don't need someone to die and leave us a fat check. That, that might be nice, but that's not the answer. What we need is to be able to know and understand how life typically works and to know the best thing to do in every circumstance for the best possible outcome. To live life well, we need wise perspective. But how can we know if we're living life well? What, what will the result be? And that's the second truth from our text today, and it's found in verse 1. The goal of wise perspective is a good name. Verse 1 pits two things against each other, uh, two sets rather, a good name and precious ointment. These are put, pit against each other, and the day of birth along with the day of death. When a person dies, 
and they're laid out in front of all of their friends and their family, what it's saying is that, yeah, it's good if they don't stink. Yeah, perfume that's used to, to uh, mask, and if you think about, especially when this would have been written before the days of all the embalming processes that we have now, yeah, perfume, strong perfume that would mask the, the smell of a dead body, that's good. That'll make that viewing much more uh, pleasant for everyone present. But what's more important than a body that doesn't stink is a good name, a good name. It says that this is preferable. Likewise, when a person dies the day of death, it's known who they are, right? I mean, the, the, the book has been written. This is who they are. This is who they were. It's ironic, though, when you go to a lot of funerals, uh, you hear people described, and you're like, who, who's, in that, who's in that coffin? Who's in that casket? Uh, you, you know the ninth commandment says not to bear false witness against your neighbor, right? You're telling things that are, that are half-truths about this individual. But when a person dies, who they are is, is known. And yet, when a baby's born, it's not yet known who they will be. You look at this precious little one, and you think they could be the greatest humanitarian to ever have lived, or they could be the most wicked dictator that the world has ever seen. It's, it's not known exactly what they will become. And so there's a sense in which, again, the day of death is preferable to the day of birth. So the goal of wise perspective, though, is that it helps us navigate through life with the right priorities and values, making the best decisions, and the outcome is a good name. A life lived well. A legacy. Now, at the, at, at the outset, that might, that might not seem like a particularly Christian perspective. You might be saying, are, are you telling me that the goal in my life should be to live in such a way that when I die, people say nice things about me? That sounds a little self-absorbed. As a matter of fact, there's, there's even a contemporary Christian song you may have heard on the radio that says, I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me, only Jesus. But Christians should want to leave a legacy, a, a good name as a result of a life lived well, wisely. Consider just a few examples. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're told about the requirements for elders or pastors. And one of those requirements is that they are well thought of by outsiders. What's that mean? It means they have a good name. It means that they have a good reputation. They are known for living a distinctly Christian life. They're not known for being a perfect person, but they are known for being uh, a sincere and uh, uh, honest person and a person who, when they blow it, they repent and a person who is aspiring to live a life that honors God and aspires to do what is right and decent and noble and dignified and respectable. A person who has a good name. In Hebrews chapter 11, we see the hall of faith and we're told about all these individuals who by 
faith receive their commendation, their approval, and, and they're named. There's a whole list of names, this person and that person and this person and that person specifically called out. Why? Examples. Examples to be followed. In Hebrews chapter 13, we're told to remember our leaders and to consider the outcome of their way of life, their legacy. Why? So that we might imitate it. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul is talking to young Timothy. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first existed in your grandmother Lois' legacy, and then in your mother Eunice' legacy, and now dwells in you. Calling people out because of their legacy, because of their good name. Friend, every one of us who calls ourselves a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, should want to live our lives and order our lives and make decisions and spend our money and prioritize our time and direct all our efforts so that when we die, our children and grandchildren, our friends and fellow church members and others can say, that was a person of integrity. That was an example of a faithful husband. That was an example of a faithful wife. That was an example of an honest person, of a hardworking person, of a generous person, of a godly person, of a loving person, of a servant. That, that was an example for us to follow. This is the goal of wise perspective in life. The third truth that our text informs us of is found in verses 2 through 4. And that is, wise perspective is found in the face of death. <coughs> wise perspective is found in the face of death. Uh, the, the first church that I was on staff, it was the second church I was on staff at, but it was the first church after Margaret and I were married. Uh, I distinctly remember the pastor there, and he pastored for several decades by that point uh, in his life. I distinctly remember him saying, oh, I'd rather do a funeral over a wedding any day. Now, I'm a young man in ministry and had just recently been married, and I thought it was a pretty good experience so far, and I couldn't really understand why he would answer like that. And I'm like, what? what? Did, did I hear you correctly? You'd rather do a funeral over a wedding any day? He's like, yeah. Yeah, because at a wedding, no one cares what the preacher has to say. Hurry up, get it over with, let's do the kiss, and let's go on to the reception. You're just an accessory. But he said, at a funeral, people are sad, and everyone's thinking about death, and you've got them. And the longer I've lived and been in ministry, we got to do Brad and Sarah's wedding last weekend, I guess it was, two weekends ago, whatever, that was, it was beautiful, it was beautiful, but hey, let's get to the kiss, let's go to the reception, but at a funeral, everyone is reminded of something very important, none of us are going to live forever. C.S. Lewis, writing on the problem of evil, said, pain insists upon being attended to, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts 
in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And what Lewis writes here about pain is also true of death. And so the writer here says, it is better to go to the house of mourning, a place where there's sadness, where there's loss, where there's a sobering acknowledgement of what awaits us all. It's better to go there than to the house of feasting where there's laughter and pleasure and merriment and only thinking about the present moment. The writer says the heart of the wise will be in the house of mourning. The one who's contemplative, who soberly reflects on life's brevity and on what kind of legacy they want to live and what awaits them on the other side of this life, that person will not shy away from honest consideration and acceptance of the reality of mortality, that we're all going to die. But the foolish person, on the other hand, gives little to no thought of the condition of their soul, of their eternal destiny, of the life they're living, of what they're doing with what they've been given. And so their heart is in the house of mirth, of wine and laughter and pleasure and amusement. And they distract themselves so as to avoid serious reflection about the end of us all. There's quite a bit said here in this text in contrasting the wise and the foolish and the house of mourning with the house of feasting, along with the demeanor of the foolish person. And we would do well to pause and consider what our text has to say here. Now, to be clear, it's not a sin to go on a vacation. It's not wrong to experience the enjoyment of things. But it's easy to be distracted by them from what's most important. And the more prosperous we are, the more opportunities that we have to distract ourselves. And as prosperous as we all are as Americans, it is quite likely that we need to hear warnings and perhaps even rebukes in this area, all of us. And so the writer says in verse 5 that it's better to hear a rebuke than the song of fools because the song of fools will not tell us we need to change anything and it also won't make us wise because part of becoming wise is hearing hard things and maybe not liking it or receiving it immediately but nonetheless changing after reflection on what we've heard. As we contemplate the reality and certainty of death, we may see changes that we need to make to live life well. And so wise perspective is found in the face of death. The fourth truth I want to highlight for you today is found in verses 10 and 14, and that is that wise perspective bows to God's rule. In verse 10, we're told not to ask why the old days were better. Why were the old days better than the days now? Why, why, why were things better back then? We're told not to ask because it's not wise, and the reason it's not wise is because it misses the point, and the point's found in verse 14. And the point is that God has made both 
the day of prosperity and the day of adversity. Both are from the hand of God. God designs different seasons in our lives to accomplish different purposes in us. And yet his chief purpose for all of us, or for the Christian, I should say, is that we would glorify him and enjoy him forever. And so rather than questioning why things are going the way they are and why times have changed, rather than pining and longing for former days in the midst of a hard season or situation, wise perspective will see that God is in control over all our days and is still working out his purposes for our lives, no matter what the situation. So we bow to God's rule and submit to the testing of our faith and the purposes of God, which brings us to the fifth and the final truth that I want to highlight from today's passage, which is found in verses 8 through 9. And it is that wise perspective produces patience. Wise perspective produces patience. The writer tells us in verse 8 that the end of a thing is better than its beginning. What's that mean for us? It means that we're going to have to learn to wait on some stuff. <coughs> verse 8 says that the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Being proud in spirit is basically saying, hey, what about me? I want it now. What does a toddler or small child do when they don't get what they want when they want it? Typically, they throw a fit, right? So verse 9 warns us not to be quick to become angry because anger is the way of the fool. Anger is lodged or lodges, it stays in the heart of a fool. When we're focused on only the moment, when we're focused on the present alone, we're going to have trouble bowing to God's rule and being patient to wait and see what the end of a thing will be. And as a matter of fact, we may never actually in our lifetime see what the end of a thing will be. But if we're operating out of a proud spirit, then just like a toddler not getting their way, we will be angry people and we will throw fits. And it will look different from person to person based upon someone's personality. It could mean being loud and mean, something that very much looks like a little child throwing a fit, but it also could mean being passive and punishing others with silence. That is still a fit. That is still sinful anger. But either way, it's foolish. A great indication of spiritual maturity is how we act when we don't get our way and when we have to wait. A wise perspective teaches us not to rush to judgment, not to demand our way, and not to focus only on the way a thing is not at the moment, but rather to wait and see what it will become. Life is complicated. It's hard. And it can often be messy. And so we need a proper perspective to know how to navigate it. And, and that's wisdom. 
and wisdom can only come from God. And the primary place that God has put his wisdom on display is in Jesus. Because in Jesus, God reveals to us the truth that we are all sinners who are separated from him. And in Jesus, God reveals to us the truth that as sinners who run after other things and worship other things and necessarily prioritize other things more than we prioritize him, that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot right all of our wrongs. We cannot make ourselves forgiven. We cannot earn God's acceptance. And in Jesus, God reveals himself as both just as the one who will punish sin and merciful as the one who will forgive unworthy sinners. And Jesus tells us that this is the will of his Father, that everyone who looks on him and believes in him should have eternal life, and Jesus will raise him up on the last day. And so a wise life with a right perspective is a life of trusting in Christ, a life of growing in love for God and others, and a life that's deeply rooted in the community of God's people, which is the local church. And the only way that we have that is by his spirit, through his word, as we continue to keep our eyes on Jesus. Amen? Amen. 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 Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so very much that you do not leave us to our own devices. You don't, you don't leave us to have to figure things out on our own. You have given us your word. You have spoken to us what is true and what is right and the way that we should go. And more than that, you have come near to us in the person of your son, Jesus Christ. You have spoken to us directly through your son, Jesus, who lived in our place, who died our death, and who rose victoriously from the dead, never to die again, so that all those who put their trust in him might receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. Father, I pray for every one of us present in this room today that we would have a wise perspective on life, that we would consider our end, that life is short and eternity is long, that we would consider our need for Jesus and that we would go all in with Jesus, that we would make knowing you and making you known our greatest priority in life and that everything else like puzzle pieces, would fit together in light of that. Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts of your people today, strengthen our faith. And I ask that you would work in the hearts of any here present who are not yet <coughs> yours, who have not turned from their sins and placed their trust in Christ 
that today they would feel sorry for sin. They would hate and reject it because it is displeasing to you and that they would turn away from sin to serve Christ. We thank you for your mercy and your great love. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning as our deacons and our musicians come forward?